Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. It's the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BOL, alongside. Senior beat reporter for us there at BamaOnline.com. That is, of course, Charlie Potter does an outstanding job covering the Crimson Tide for the website. We are pushing through midweek at this point, getting ready for Alabama and Georgia. Prime time, under the lights, Bryant-Denny Stadium coming up on Saturday night, 7 p.m. Central kickoff on, in the immortal words of Brent Musburger, who's still alive, by the way, CBS. So we look forward to the dogs and the tide. A lot to get to on this edition of the Bama Online Podcast. If you haven't already, by the way, how about a subscription to the Bama Online Podcast? It's as simple as a click or two. Wherever you consume podcasts, you can do that. Leave us a rating and a review while you're there. That would be greatly appreciated. Would help us out a good bit if you don't mind. And with that, we bring on Charlie Potter. Charlie, are Alabama and Ole Miss scores over in Oxford? I mean, if they had just let them go, you know, into today, basically, uh, three or four days later, you think those two teams would still be trading scores over there? <laughs> Probably so. That was uh, – that game seemed like it went on forever. I remember, you know, just sitting alongside some of the other Alabama beat writers up in the press box at Vaught-Hemingway and saying, damn, it's still only the third quarter. Uh, so, uh, it, that was a, that was an interesting game and, and the way that I kind of do just recaps, cause we have to have them up pretty much as soon as the game's over, it's just kind of, you know, score by score, kind of giving it a little flavor of how it happened. And that was a workout keeping up with that on Saturday. Um, and with Alabama, it's pretty crazy. I know everybody's talked about Alabama's defense. I think, you know, the performance of the offense was overshadowed a good bit, but if, if you think about it, outside of the punt and really the fumble that shouldn't have been, Alabama should have scored 70 points in that game. And oh, yeah. Uh, you're right. If, if if they were still going, I mean, and we said it you know, talking in, in the podcast last week, and we said it when I talked on your radio show, I said it several times last week, Alabama could basically name its score against that defense. And they thought the conditions might be a little wetter and they ha- might have to run the ball a little bit more, but they were able to throw the ball around the yard. And yeah, I, I would be convinced that if, if whatever gas they had left in the tank, they'd be you know on the accelerator and, and heading toward the end zone. Yeah, it was a stress-free 63, I think you could say. For Alabama, and you're right. Other than the slow whistle down on the goal line, and maybe halftime, and one Sam Johnson punt, <laughs> uh, that was about it. You know, for the the Ole Miss defense, and uh, the challenge becomes a good bit different, though, as we know, coming up on Saturday night with the Georgia Bulldogs, the nation's top defense, coming to Tuscaloosa. Kirby Smart looking to become the first Saban disciple in 21 attempts, or is it? Gosh, is it 22 now? It would be. Mm-hmm. Um, to get a win over Nick Saban, his his old boss. But 
What about the health of this Alabama team? I know we have to knock on wood every time we say that, given the last two or three years. But again, even in the midst of a pandemic, availability looks to be about as good as you could hope for right now. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, just being at the game on Saturday, I didn't really see anybody go in the tent. Um, you were really a, a little bit worried about the conditions. Um, Ole Miss now has uh, natural grass. I think they changed that back in 2016, I believe. And you could kind of tell that when Alabama's players were out there warming up because, you know, outside of kind of right when they get to the stadium, Ole Miss chose to warm up indoors. Um, you could see that they were creating some, some pretty good divots. And uh, you always kind of worry about conditions about injuries and things like that and outside of really malachi moore who was late coming out of the locker room at halftime we saw brian branch start the the third quarter at the start position and then Moore stepped back in on the, the next possession there really wasn't many guys that you know came up hobbled i think jalen waddle like he might have been dealing with some cramps a little bit and the way that guy moves i mean that's that's almost to be expected of, of how his body just moves around but yeah i mean you mentioned it it's, it's been a good go of things from an injury standpoint from alabama uh, we saw christian barmore uh, play even more uh, this past weekend as he's coming back from that nagging knee injury uh, really the only guy that that's been out um has been Ronald Williams with the the fractured arm. And, uh, well, I guess Major Tennyson hasn't played a lot because of that intestinal issue too. But, you know, from a, from a COVID-19 standpoint and everything like that, it, it's been uh, positive for Alabama. They've had a, a good luck of this thing so far. Yeah, they have. Uh, really, some of the changes you've seen have been, I would guess, well, coach's decision uh, is the best way to describe it. Um, and so it hasn't been necessarily – things that have been required due to to health or uh, injury or anything like that. So there is that that glimmer uh, coming out of this three-game stretch as you get ready for a a big one-two punch there in the SEC East with Tennessee and Georgia. We saw those two teams go at it on Saturday over at Sanford Stadium in Athens. Georgia very impressive in the second half in pulling away from the Vols. And with that, we're going to get into – some fill-in-the-blank time with Charlie Potter as we get you ready for Alabama, Georgia. Um, sort of also in relation to, again, the accumulation of three games that we've uh, had to, to look at this Alabama team now. Uh, and we'll get started, Charlie, with this one. Blank is why Alabama fans should have a sense of optimism where the Crimson Tide defense is concerned. Give them a pep talk, Charlie. Tell them why. Give them a reason why they can actually feel pretty good about this group. I mean, after Saturday's performance, it is kind of tough. But (laughs) I think when you look at this defense, one thing is they've kept everything in front of them. You know, a lot of times whenever we've seen an Alabama defense struggle or, you know, give up a lot of yards, a lot of points, they're giving up plays over the top. And things like that. I think they've done a decent job of, of keeping things in front of them. The, the struggle they've had is poor tackling, misassignments, you know, bad angles. Um, Nick Saban mentioned eye control on Monday. So I, that comes down to fundamentals and, and cleaning that aspect up. But I think they've been in position for the most part. Um, the effort's been decent. Um, you know, I think you could kind of see, you know, some. <laughs> I think DJ Dale mentioned when we talked to him on Tuesday that the effort and the toughness was good, but they got to play smarter. I think the effort has been there. Toughness, maybe not so much, and definitely they need to play smarter. I think that's just kind of a, uh, you know, a blanket statement for this entire defense. And again, you know, they, they haven't given up the big play over the top. I think they've done a decent job of, of defending that, but 
you know, they, they got to get those guys on the ground and, and stop those, what should be, you know, four or five, six yard gains turning into 20 plus runs. I mean, the, the play that the six out in my mind, the most, uh, in the Ole Miss game is when they had them backed up, what was it? Third and 27. Yeah. And they hit the back free for a 22 yard gain and, and Ole Miss converts on the fourth down, one of the four that they did in the game. So that's just not something we typically see from an Alabama defense. It's just like the defense kind of parted like the Red Sea. And, um, again, it's just, you know, keeping the play in front of you and then making the play when you need to, I think it's kind of putting all of that together. Yeah. The biggest concern for me coming out of Ole Miss was that I know we, we need to credit Lane Kiffin and Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator for Ole Miss and Matt Corral, Elijah Moore, you know, all those guys, Jerry and Ely, uh, Kenny Yaboa, they were all great. Right. And I think the offensive line for Ole Miss, when you go back and watch it, didn't have many problems with the Alabama defensive front. So, Credit given. The concerning part from the Alabama perspective is that Lane didn't exactly reinvent the wheel in how he went at Alabama. In his three years at Alabama, a lot of the same things that we saw during that stretch, he still employs in this offense. Now, there's more tempo. That's where the degree of difficulty goes up. I get that. But he basically opened the game with a play that he used six years ago at Alabama. And then off of that, he got chunk explosive runs off of the same play just on the run side of it instead of the boot action and throw it out to the flat you know and that's concerning because it never seemed to get fixed during the game I'm gonna give you this though a lot of what you saw from Ole Miss and even some of what you saw from Texas A&M I don't think it's as much in play this week so my fill in the blank for why Alabama fans should have a sense of optimism where their defense is concerned this week is that against guys like Isaiah Spiller, against guys like Larry Roundtree, you know, backs that are 210, 220, bigger backs that like to pound at you, Alabama defensively had some nice success against those guys. I think they're going to see more of that style this week. So that's what I'm going with. That's what I'm hanging my hat on. That's my pep talk. All right, up next, Charlie, we talked about this one before the podcast, and I sensed a little consternation on your behalf, because what we're going to do now is if you were to rank the three levels of the Alabama defense through three games, Charlie, blank would be first, would be at the top of the list, followed by blank and blank. Yeah, this one was this one was hard. I didn't really appreciate this one when I, I got this one across the desk. Um <laughs> It is tough because the defense, I think in the first couple of games, didn't play terribly, but they were pretty bad against Ole Miss. And if you're looking at it from just a three-game slice, I would probably go with linebackers being number one. I thought in that first game, you know, Dylan Moses and Christian Harris and Will Anderson were just flying around. And, and you, you kind of forgot what you saw last year with those freshmen struggling at times. And you're like, okay, the, the linebacker core is going to be – in good hands and they've kind of just you know, played worse and worse as the the weeks have, have gone on i thought chris Allen has played uh better as the season has progressed it seems like he's getting more and more comfortable and he's a guy that is going to need that because you know, he he hasn't been on the field a lot because of so many injuries so just from a, a three-week perspective i would probably give linebackers the nod um i think it, it's tough at, at the the second spot just because the secondary as a whole hasn't played the best. I think the corners have been 
great. I think Patrick Sertan and, and Josh Job are playing at all SEC level, but they're not really getting a lot of targets. The safeties are the ones and the linebackers are getting picked on by the uh, tight ends and the running backs. And, and Daniel Wright has struggled uh, with missing tackles. And so um, I, I think, though, the corners give them the nod here for me at second, and I'll go with the defensive line third just because what we've seen um, or what we saw this past week with just the the way that the run game for Ole Miss was able just to do whatever they wanted, you know that we just haven't seen that really uh, from a Nick Saban defense. And the, you, you hear the stat of you, know, you mentioned guys like Ezekiel Elliott and Darren McFadden. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting a couple of them. I think Todd Gurley. There's only a handful of backs that have rushed for over a hundred yards and uh, two touchdowns against Alabama. And both of Ole Miss's backs did that in this game. And yeah. I, I just think that it. it the defensive line has been inconsistent. Um, you know, I think having Barmore back helps, but you know they haven't gotten much from a nose guard perspective. LeBron Ray uh, hasn't been much of a factor, and so they're going to need to have some more from that group. And I think right now, I just and especially what we saw this past week, I, I would have to rank them third. But it was tough. I mean, it was you know it, it's a race that came down to the wire. I'll say that. Yeah, you know, it's almost like draw them out of a hat. Really, yeah. um, I agree with you right there in the in the middle. I have the defensive backs, I have the secondary second and echoing your sentiment in large part because of the corner play. Uh, you know, when I did my top 12 titers on Tuesday, had two defensive players out of the 12 this week. And the two defensive players were Josh Joe and Patrick Sertan the second, everybody else offense. Um, so I, I actually am going to go defensive line first. And again, it's pretty neck and neck in these three. Um, not because they've been prolific in terms of tackle for loss numbers are really generating much in the way of organic pressure, which is four guys or things like that. Um, I, I've, I've liked what I've seen from Fedarian Mathis. Uh, mm-hmm. He is giving you motor. He is giving you consistent effort. Uh, and then you just, you got some guys that have flashed. The biggest concern I have, not only for those guys, but also kind of at the linebacker level too, is, you know, it's not like they're not ever getting to the quarterback. They're just not getting the quarterback on the ground enough. You know, and that's got to start to change here pretty soon. I went linebackers third, and you know, it's kind of a one A, one B, one C, as we've said, but it was so bad, in my opinion, uh, against Ole Miss uh, from the opening snap. You know, and uh, it just never really seemed to get better. Yes, I thought Christopher Allen later in the game made a few plays, but I mean, you had guys lining up in the wrong places. You had situations where you had two outside linebackers to the same side on some stuff. I know it, it's been a tough year. I know there's been lost opportunities in terms of development and preparation, but third game of the season, and you still got two guys to the same side at the uh, you know, it, that would be my three anyway. You know, and there's, and look, right? recency bias is going to come in here last time we saw Alabama if we just rated it on Ole Miss um you know that that would probably have more traction but it 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 just stuck with me Ole Miss stuck with me uh Charlie the final one before we head to a break the Alabama defensive player most likely to break out this week against Georgia is blank and this is another tough one um but like you said a little bit ago um Georgia isn't going to present the same kind of problems that Alabama's seen uh, the last couple of weeks. And I think that 
the pass rush from a pass rush standpoint, maybe they have some more success just because they don't have a guy that can elude them as well as a Kellen Mond or as a Matt Corral back there. So for me, he's been close and you see the explosive ability. Uh, he had a couple of, of really bad missed tackles um, in the last game, but he's been right there. Maybe you chalk it up to wet conditions. I don't know, but I'm going to go with Will Anderson. I'm going to go with the, the true mm-hmm. freshman, the, the Georgia native, because we've seen the the explosive ability. We've seen you know what he can do. It's just he hasn't put it all together and, and really um, you know been or been able to finish the play. And I think with like I said, not facing that elusive guy back there uh, behind center will benefit him. Maybe it benefits the whole group. Um, but yeah, I mean, echoing kind of what you said, I I gave the linebackers the nod with the win because I thought they played really well against Missouri. Now it's it's gotten progressively worse as the weeks have, have progressed. But if Will Anderson and Dylan Moses and Christian Harris can get back to how they looked against Missouri, this defense will be in much, much better shape. So you know, look for them or one of them at least to maybe bounce back. Uh, so I'll go with one of the linebackers. I floated several guys around in my head, but with Will Anderson being the one that, you know, this Georgia staff probably wishes they'd had, and that recruiting class, I'll, I'll go with the true freshman there. You know, I'm going to stay at the linebacker level with you. And I'm going to go Christian Harris. I just beat him up, right? I just beat up yeah. the linebackers pretty good. But I think the way this game potentially sets up, I think this could be a, a big, big opportunity for Christian Harris. So I'm going to go with the weak side linebacker. You know, Georgia loves to feature those backs, and they've got plenty of them. I mean, you look at the Tennessee game and you had three Georgia backs uh, with eight or more carries in that game. Samir White, Kenny McIntosh, Kendall Milton, the true freshman that Alabama was actually involved with on the recruiting trail, did some nice things. Um, Those guys combined for 38 carries for 150-ish yards. that's, that's, That's solid, but it's not spectacular. So I'm going to go with Christian Harris at the weak side spot. Um, should be able to play with a little more freedom maybe against this kind of offense and uh, and do some big things from that weak side of linebacker position. Going to take a break here on the BamaOnline.com podcast. When we come back, we'll move over to the offensive side of the ball with Charlie Potter. I'm Travis Schreier. We appreciate you tuning into the podcast. We'll be back with more of it right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's the Bama Online Podcast, back with more as we move into the midweek. It is Georgia Week 2020, one of the most anticipated games of the entire 2020 season is upon us, and we're filling in some blanks where this matchup is concerned, with an emphasis, obviously, on the Alabama side of the football field. And, Charlie, let's get back into it. Let's get to the offensive side of the ball. Um I guess I should have probably prefaced this one with Mac Jones aside. Blank is Alabama's most important player on offense this week. But if you've got Mac, that's fine. If you've got another guy, that's fine. So with that, who do you have as Alabama's most important player on offense for this game Saturday night? 
Yeah, even before you said that, I actually went a different direction. But look at Georgia and their rush defense is immaculate. It's the complete opposite of what Alabama faced at Ole Miss. Uh, the Rebels' run defense is atrocious, and uh, <laughs> it shows with with Najee Harris's stat line. He rushed for 200 plus yards and five touchdowns on, on 23 carries last weekend. So for me, I'm I'm going to give the nod to, to Najee because. When you're facing a defense that's given up less than 40 yards per game on the ground, if you can get the run game going and help out that offensive, or the, the passing attack and Mac Jones and those receivers, you're going to have a much better go at this. And you're going to be able to maybe um, you know air out the ball a little or take some air out of the ball a little bit and help out your defense. So if Najee has uh, just a, a, a decent game, I think the offense will be in good shape. And, you know, he showed up in, in these big games. I mean, he came in as a true freshman when Alabama was playing uh, Georgia in the national championship game and, and played really well, had a big game. Uh, you know, last year and in, in, in the, the games where Alabama played its, its toughest opponents and were in the, the kind of the shootouts against LSU and, and Auburn, Najee had a big game. So he's a guy that, uh, he steps up when the, or he seems to step up when the lights are the brightest, and uh, they're not going to be any brighter than there. They will be all season long when Georgia comes to town this weekend. So I'll give the nod to Najee. If, if he can have some success against this defense, then Alabama's offense will be in good shape. Yeah, I wrote about this earlier in the week. It's a scrimmage yards week for Najee. You know, I, I don't know if 100 on the ground as a standalone number is going to happen against this Georgia defense, but you start getting involved as a receiver and then what's going to be asked to him also in pass protection and Brian Robinson as a part of that as well, because Monty Rice, Channing Tindall, some of these backers, Nicobe Dean for Georgia, uh, Kirby and, and his defensive staff, they, they haven't been afraid to bring the, the pressure. Um, a couple of those guys combined for three sacks last Saturday against Tennessee. So that's very much in play. I'll go offensive tackle because yeah. as crazy as this sounds, you almost want Georgia to blitz you this week with max precision and with the blitz beaters that you have. I mean, you can go to the 2018 SEC championship game, see Jalen Waddle on the shallow cross against a five-man pass rush and turns it into a touchdown. So you almost want to invite some of that, uh, but you got to take care of the four-man pass rush first and foremost. And I'll, I'll go with Alex Leatherwood because I think Aziz Ojolari – the Jack linebacker, which is the same thing as it is at Alabama, you know, he's an edge guy that can be a problem. Had two sacks against Tennessee. Um, you've got a highly regarded sophomore in Nolan Smith that some people consider to be the top freshman, uh, the top recruit for the 2019 recruiting cycle. So there's an edge presence here you're going to have to take care of first and foremost. And I think the interior of Alabama's offensive line will be just fine when it comes to pass protection. But for you know, to, to to kind of take care of Georgia first and foremost in the four man pass rush, uh, I'm going to go with Alex Leatherwood. What do you think of the two tackles so far, Charlie, for Alabama? I mean, uh, they've been good, obviously, but ha- have they been exactly what you thought they would be in Evan Neal and, and Alex Leatherwood? Um, I think Leatherwood had a good game um, Saturday, and he's a guy that I think doesn't get just a lot of attention. Uh, yeah, I, I know Landon Dickerson's kind of the the boisterous one of the group and you know if you're going to see a video on twitter it's going to be of of the center with maybe some extracurricular activity or just doing something uh kind of funny but i I think that alex leather was just a solid player and i think the whole group um you know you kind of 
take the Ole Miss game with a grain of salt just because, like I said before, their, their run defense is just so bad. But we were talking about the run game kind of the same way last year. It was got off to a slow start. They're a bit inconsistent. And then they finished as one of the best offensive lines in the country. And, you know, you have to replace a guy like Jedrick Wills and you know, Evan Neal's making that transition to, to right tackle. But I think it'll it'll get to that same point. And I think, you know, we haven't heard much outside of, you know, pre-snap penalties. And I think that's kind of been a bugaboo for the whole group. But uh, I think they've been solid. And I think they're just going to continue to progress. And if, if they have a big game Saturday, I considered writing down just offensive tackles whenever uh, I was putting this together. But um, if they have a big game Saturday, I think Alabama's offense will be able to see a lot of success. Yeah, I point to Evan Neal, but of course, I mean, Alex Leatherwood, but of course, Evan Neal going to need to take care of business as well. Charlie, next up for this Alabama offense, the most impressive stat for the UA offense through three games is blank. Well, it's going to come from Mac Jones, and I always put together, you know, a list of of stats where Alabama ranks nationally and in the SEC. And you know, Mac is first in passer rating and um, yards per attempt. But when you look at his completion percentage, he's second in the country, and he's if you round it up, it's eighty percent. He's just been so efficient and accurate with the football. Uh, I think it was Cole Kublik tweeted out a video of him just threading a, a ball through the kneel hole. Uh, between an Ole Miss defender and a referee of all things and placing it right on the money uh, against Ole Miss. So it's he's just been he's been accurate not only with just the intermediate passes that Alabama uh, runs so well and, and gets their guys open in space to make a play but the long ball too. Um, you know he was a maybe just a step off of hitting John Mechie in that A&M game where he would have just been perfect on his uh, throws down the field. You look back at um, Brian Robinson at, at Missouri dropped a would-be touchdown. You know, the, the ones he's missed have been like minuscule or maybe sometimes not even his fault. And I just think that the way that he's been able to distribute the ball to the, the playmakers that they have and what they've been able to do with it has just been really, really impressive. Yeah, you know, it, it's hard to go against Mac on this one. Um, I'm a big yards per attempt guy, and he's at 13.3 right now per attempt. And as great as Tua was each of the last two years, and understanding we still have a good bit of football to play, you know, that's two full yards ahead of what Tua put up in either 2018 or 2019. It's not just about efficiency with this guy. His quarterback rating is the highest in FBS, uh, but so is his yards per attempt. So he's not dinking and dunking people out here to get that that completion percentage up and and help that efficiency rating he is still hitting plays in chunks and of course he has the wide receivers to uh to get it done still with Devonte smith jalen waddle and john mechie coming along to me though I, I still have to go with 51 points per game at this point um and that's impressive but again you think back to the last two years 2018 2019 you know alabama last year and 13 games averaged 47. So that's still a high bar to clear, but at 51 through three games, and again, these are all conference games this year, as we know. You're not going to do some of this against New Mexico State and Kent State and some of those teams. So if you eclipse 47 points per game from a year ago, uh, you will have definitely earned it, no doubt about it. Final one, Charlie, as we wrap up, a filling in the blanks edition of the Bama online podcast. If Saturday's uh, game comes down to special teams, which 
the whole Scott Cochran thing at Georgia adds some intrigue to that. The Crimson Tide will be blank. If Saturday's game comes down to special teams, the Crimson Tide will be cautiously optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that's the best way. You can I'm do Ron Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you just look at the whole, like the big picture, Alabama has been pretty sound in its coverage ability. Um, will Reichard has been a bright spot. I know he's only attempted a couple field goals, but he's made them. He's been perfect on uh, extra points, which, you know, the last couple of years, that's been a, a moment where Alabama fans hold their breath, really, even on the extra point attempts. So, uh, yeah, he's he's kicked the most and he's made them all. And um, you know, I think you know when you have a guy like Jalen Waddle back there, if if the opposing team is is dumb enough to kick him the ball, then he's going to be able to do some damage. Now, when you look at a, a punting perspective, Georgia is far superior. I think they're averaging more than fifty yards per punt, mm-hmm. and Alabama's last in the SEC with a, uh, a hair over thirty-seven. So, um, I know that Sam Johnson is doing, according to Nick Saban, what they want him to do. But, you know, you, you never know if maybe they, they try something else out or, or somebody else is performing better in practice. So um, you, you look at it, there there are certain aspects that, that sway the other way to the other team. But um, I think Alabama is cautiously, cautiously optimistic when it comes to special teams, when you look at the big picture. And when you can say that about the kicking game as well, I think, you know, that, that shows that things are trending in the right direction. I'll say the Crimson Tide will be trying to hang on if it comes down to special teams on Saturday. And look, I'm actually of the belief that Will Reichard, as long as he's healthy, is going to sort of change the perception of Alabama kicking uh, moving forward. But there's no denying, as you alluded to, uh, Jake Camarda, the punter for Georgia. And it's not just this year. He did it last year too. So we've got a sample size to work from with this guy. You know, he's averaging 51 a punt. Uh, Alabama hasn't been in a game really where punting has been important. I think we both can see that being more the case this week. I don't think Alabama gets through uh, this Georgia defense with just one punt. And yeah, there is that other side of it because, okay, you're averaging 51 a punt. And Scott Cochran understands better than anyone what Alabama has back deep in Jalen Waddell. You're going to kick it to him? You're going to take that shot? Um, you know, teams have tried it in the past with good punters. LSU tried it here in Tuscaloosa last November and got housed. So, yeah, I, I think the punting part of it, yeah, would be the bigger concern there. I, I, I think Reichard's going to be okay. Georgia is transitioning uh, from Rodrigo Blankenship, who's now with the Indianapolis Colts, to a, a young kicker and Jack Podlenzi that is seven of eight on field goals. So uh, I, I, I look more at the punting game because field position, you know, more so than at any point so far this season, I would think is going to be a, a bigger deal on Saturday evening. Charlie, you got anything else for us before we get out of here? No, um, you know, it's it's been a, a Georgia field week. Uh, I know, you know, talking and following a lot of the the beat reporters over there at Dogs 24-7, they're probably feeling the same way we are, cautiously optimistic about our Atlanta Braves. Yes. Uh, we'll see what happens. We're recording this on Tuesday uh, before they're, game two of playing, the NLCS. They're getting ready to play, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. So I've, I've been – I haven't been, you know, I, I've reserved and cautious and conservative about it, but – Man, the way this pitching staff is is dealing right now, and the way that the feeling it, Charlie's feeling it. Yeah, I'm trying not to. 
I always get let down, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm, st- I'm starting to get the fever. Oh, no Clayton Kershaw in game two. I know. With I the know. back issue. Huh? Yeah. I mean, look, we're just thankful to be able to talk football and sports really, because before we even take this today, we hear that Florida has paused its football operations now with five new COVID positives in that program and that right on the heels charlie of dan mullen saying he wanted ninety thousand at the swamp this saturday <laughs> for lsu ha ah, is there covid karma out there maybe i'm starting to wonder a little bit hey charlie always great stuff always appreciate you here on the podcast and of course all the great work that charlie does with us there at bamaonline.com keep it locked to bol keep it locked to the round table hang out with us we enjoy that on the round table the premium message board of choice for Alabama Crimson Tide fans everywhere. For Charlie Potter, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us here on the Bama Online Podcast, and we'll be back with you again real soon. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.